Exposing the Illegal Empire with Shane Britton. Hi, I'm Shane Britton, CEO of Crime Stoppers International, and I'll be your host throughout this podcast series. Thanks for joining me on a journey into the shadowy world of the illegal empire and for taking a stand against the funding of organized crime and terrorism. This podcast series is brought to you by Crime Stoppers International and supported by JTI. Have you ever really thought about where organized crime groups and terrorists get their money? The answer is complex, but there is a common thread that happens all around the world, and that is the sale of illicit goods. With everything from handbags to alcohol, tobacco to pharmaceutical goods, fake COVID vaccines to electronics and everything in between. This podcast series will explore how our individual consumer choices can fund some of the worst crimes possible. We're going to hear from terrorism experts, police officers, and those whose products are being ripped off to fund crime. This series of six episodes will take a deep dive into the multiple dimensions of illegal trade, such as the damage it does to our economies, the social and environmental dangers to local communities and citizens, how it affects human rights, and how the affected businesses and our law enforcement agencies are dealing with the issue. Last but not least, we're going to have a look at the concrete actions and solutions to better prevent and tackle illegal trade. For background, and in case you don't know it yet, Crime Stoppers International is the governing body of the more than 800 Crime Stoppers programs around the world, currently in 31 countries. Now, while our local, state, and national programs focus on crimes in their regions, at Crime Stoppers International, we focus on transnational crime. This really brings into our focus terrorism, cybercrime, human trafficking, illicit trade, and similar crimes that cross borders. We're a global, not-for-profit organization that supports law enforcement efforts. We mostly do this by providing an avenue for individual individuals around the world to raise anonymous reports of criminal activity. But we also undertake a range of projects to support law enforcement agencies where they need capability or support. As for myself, I've been involved in counterterrorism work for much of my career, including working as an intelligence officer for the Australian government. I've worked on investigating Al-Qaeda, tracking their influence and operations around the world, and working with some really amazing and talented people. I now run my own homeland security and law enforcement consulting firm and work as CEO of Crime Stoppers International. And for our first conversation, we're joined by Piotr Strzelski, a senior analyst who runs a task force on countering illicit trade at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD. Welcome to the show, Piotr. Hello. Why do we kick off this show with the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development? Well, stimulating economic progress and world trade, the 38 OECD member countries come together to share best practices develop policies and coordinate domestic and international affairs around the advancement of democracy and the market economy. But this progress doesn't come cost-free. Illicit trade is a massive threat to modern economies, public health and safety. So we think there's nobody better than Piotr to highlight the scope and scale of the dark side and hidden costs of what can truly be called an illegal empire. Most of all, Piotr will help us to understand the scale and impact of this crime. Thanks so much for joining us, Piotr. Can I ask, just before we get into illegal trade, what led to your current role? Can you fill our listeners in on your professional journey so far and how you fit into the OECD? Once again, thank you for having me. I've been with the OECD for 15 years. I came to the OECD from the academia. I have a PhD in economics, and that empowered me with some, I would say, understanding of economic processes, related trade-offs and with the power of measurement of things. Right. So joining the OECD, I joined a really fascinating think tank uh, that is something between governments and policymaking and academic world that provides information to policymakers about how things look like, and at the same time adds more reality checks to the academic world, right? Uh, so through this 
15 years, I had some experience with various committees at the OECD, ranging from science, technology, innovation, digital economy, internet economy, and now for the past seven years, I've been with the task force on countering illicit trade. Fantastic. What a, what a brilliant background. So given, given you lead this task force on illicit trade, can you, can you kick off by just telling us what is illicit trade? What, what are we talking about here? Illicit trade. Firstly, there are two components, illicit and trade, right? So we look at trading goods, so you know, tangible objects that cross borders, not trading services, but trading products. That is illicit, right? That is of interest of customs or any other competent authorities that look at trade. Within this set, there is a whole range of, of products ranging from counterfeits, illicit pharmaceuticals, through illicit pesticides, wildlife trafficking, to really serious, organized, crime-driven goods, such as uh, narcotics, guns, or even human trafficking is there, even though it's not real trade per se. But um, there is no, I would say, proper definition that says ABC is illicit trade. Right. Uh, criminals who drive illicit trade networks, they're very creative. And we, are, we kept being surprised by types of goods that, that fall into the basket illicit trade. Because from what, what I understand, the criminals don't care about the good, right? It's just a means of making money for them? Yes, exactly. They look for money that is big and that is easy, right? So there's two components. Uh, there is, of course, the profitability and risk, right? So, of course, heroin can bring you lots of huge profits, but at the same time, risks are huge. In many countries, there's capital penalty involved in heroin smuggling. Right, of course. When it comes to counterfeits, unit profitability might not be that high, but then risks are much lower. Right, so that, that risk-reward dynamic really drives which product the, the criminals are choosing. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there are all sorts of you know nuanced issues around it, right? So money must be easy must be safe, must be huge, right? So there's also all these demand factors that drive illicit trade. Right now we are exiting, hopefully, uh, the COVID era that was a big bang for the planet of illicit trade that reshaped demand and supply chains. So we saw lots of interesting dynamics around it. So interesting that you bring up COVID. So how has that changed? Has it been about closing borders or, or what has been the impact on illicit trade from the, the pandemic? Illicit trade is not, you know, contraband that is carried on backs of smugglers somewhere in the woods, no matter how romantic it might sound. So for COVID, closures of borders and uh, and reshaping of illicit trade also had an impact on illicit trade. Then uh, lockdowns, yeah. right? people were asked to stay at home, that reshaped demand dramatically. Um, there were cases of closures, closures of stores, so there was unsatisfied demand, that drove people into illicit trade networks. There were closures of, say, restaurants as well, and bars, and that created unsatisfied supply or excess supply of, of certain goods. That was also a profit opportunity for illicit traffickers. And last, of course, booming e-commerce. Without e-commerce, they wouldn't survive. But for illicit traders, illicit criminals, so that offer, offers great opportunities to infiltrate the market and get straight to the end consumer. So those are those were the those were the I would say factors, COVID-related factors that really impacted heavily um, illicit trade planet. So so you talked about e-commerce. So are we talking about the, the dark web? Like where are these products being sold online? You can find illicit products all over 
um, the e-commerce universe, right? You can find them on listed e-commerce platforms that today are like marketplaces, right? So it's not like platform X or platform Z sells these products. No, these platforms offer their services to the third parties uh, that then do the, do the act of, of selling. So you can find illicit goods on e-commerce platforms, such goods as counterfeits, substandard products. Um, you can find there also illicit pharmaceuticals. Right. All sorts of products you can find actually in illicit, on the illicit web, right? Social media is another channel through which illicit products um, are offered, right? There's many, many ways there, and I will not go into it. But my bottom line is it's not dark web. It's not something really fishy. On the internet, you can find illicit products basically just around the corner, one click of the mouse, right? And you're there. Yeah, right. So you don't have to go searching for it as something that's that's readily available. That's really interesting. Well, as some of my colleagues say, they use this, they use this uh, really nice example that if you use search engines, the first page of results for you is really trusted, right? They compare the first page of results that search engine returned to you as the main street. I live in Paris. There is a nice shopping street next to me, Rue de Passy. So the first page of results is Rue de Passy, right? I trust it. But it's not necessarily the case. On the first page of results that search engine gives you, you can find really some shady stores that offer, well, illicit goods, something that you don't find on Rue de Passy. And this, this anecdote is used just to illustrate our mental mapping right yeah i trust the first page of result the same way i trust the street nearby but this is this is wrong right people do not exercise same amount of caution um with online world as as they should right thinking this is the same sort of environment as offline because there's that feeling of being distanced from the the crime that that you're hidden behind a a monitor and a keyboard and and you're not quite hands-on with that activity right Oh, yes. And these web pages look very nice and legitimate and user-friendly, right? Yeah, okay. So then then what are the most illegally traded products? What, what are you seeing the most of? Well, there's, a, I would say, a, a whole range of illegally traded products, right? And there is no one taxonomy that would really allow me to tell uh, X is more than Y. There is lots of counterfeits, goods that infringe intellectual property rights, trademarks, or just to put it, fakes, right? Fake yeah, products. Okay, okay. Um, there's lots of them. We estimate that global trade in fakes is around $460 billion. Wow. And let me pose and repeat, $460 billion, right? This is, um, this is GDP of modern economies, like say around Belgium. It's a huge amount, right? This is not an amount that equals to a jackpot, lottery jackpot. It's GDP of economies. So counterfeits. There's lots of illicit pharmaceuticals and health goods. And sometimes they are also counterfeit, right? So there, this is overlap. But sometimes they are just substandard, used, stolen, right? So they, they're also in, the, in, in, this, in this field. Um, there are also lots of, I would say, substandard products, right? That do not necessarily infringe IP rights, but do not meet health and safety norms set by regulators, such as, for example, FDA in the US. There are many of them. There's wildlife products. And here it's even hard to measure what is the value yeah. of, say, some wildlife goods, right? It, it's illegal. It, it has no illicit price. And of course, there is lots of say, illicit logging, illicit fishery. There is, well, even illicit sand, right? So this, this planet is huge. Sand. Yes, there is illicit sand, right? That sounds, that sounds, uh, sounds rather anecdotal and bizarre. 
but in fact, illicit trade in sand is a very lucrative business. Sand is used for construction, and you cannot just use any sand, of right? Of course. Desert sand is too round, doesn't do the job well. Uh, Seawater sand is, has some salt and it's corrosive. The best one is freshwater sand from lakes or from, from rivers, but not every, I would say, big construction site has access to such sand. And that creates opportunities really for illegal extraction and illegal trade of sand. I'm sure our, our listeners are thinking the same thing. That really shows that this is everywhere. It covers just about every product that, that a dollar can be made out of and um, almost every industry. Is that You must be blown away by seeing that all the time. Oh, yes, yes. It can be, it can be everywhere, right? And we should keep in mind, again, this paradigm of high profits, low risks. So often these, this is not something like you know, cocaine when you see smugglers having you know, boxes of, of pressed cocaine and then suitcases full of dollars. It's, you can see a big ship full of sand, and, and this is illicit, right? oh, wow. it's as simple as such. Yeah, it, it's, it's not quite the Hollywood uh, paradigm that we've yes. come to expect, has it? It's, uh... Exactly. So, so there's lots of money involved. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars here. So what, what are the actual costs outside of money? This, this has to impact on things like law enforcement attention, but then also tax revenue. Is that right? Yes. So, I mean, when you think of impacts of illicit trade, firstly, there's impact areas that one can think of. And secondly, is the timing of impact, right? In terms of impact, impact areas, there are some economic uh, effects. There is uh, damage to legitimate businesses who suffer from, I would say, unfair competition. Yeah, right, of course. Lost sales, lost profits, lost jobs, right? And many of companies that suffer from counterfeiting are actually SMEs, small and medium enterprises. And for them, uh, unfair competition often means bankruptcy. Three days ago, we launched a report on illicit trade in SMEs, and we see that there is a clear link that for these small companies who are often unaware of the risk of well, unfair competition by, by illicit traders, um, illicit trading count means, count means bankruptcy. That's, that's devastating. Oh, yes. I mean, often these small companies, they were well prepared to develop a product, to market it, you know, to, to raise funds. Kind of and then it gets ripped off by, by criminal enterprise. Yes, yes, exactly. But there's also all sorts of products that are other than, well, say, economic. I don't say they're less or more important. They're just different. And here I think in particular of health and safety effects on consumers. People who offer illicit products, they are not interested in meeting health and safety norms, right? They are just interested in high profits. If you buy some cosmetics online from a dodgy store, you might get a good price. But then there is a risk that this product might cause, well, skin irritation yeah. or some more serious problems, right? Particularly pharmaceuticals, right? You've got no idea what's inside the product. Absolutely. Uh, we partner with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and they were giving us really horrifying examples uh, of, of damaging effects of, of fake pharmaceuticals. Uh, and this, again, COVID comes into mind because people are more aware of, I would say, health impacts. People demand more health goods, that creates opportunities for illicit, uh, for illicit bad actors, I would say, not illicit actors, to enter the market and offer substandard products at a seemingly good rate. 
Well, so can I ask you about those actors? So who sure. who who are the people who are doing this? What what's the dynamic? Like, is this criminal enterprise? Are they individuals? Are they groups? What does it look like? Well, it's certainly organized crime, right? The scale of this of this process is is massive. We see global networks of illicit trade. It's not possible to do it by one or just handful of people. It's well-organized crime. We also see well-organized abuse of modern trade routes and modern logistical solutions, uh, such as container ships or e-commerce platforms that is done on a massive and regular scale. So it is, it is organized crime behind it. It's really interesting that it's it, it has to be organized crime, doesn't it, given the, the oh, effort yes. to cross borders and, and, as you say, the global nature of the crime. Oh, yes. And also they are very proactive and very entrepreneurial, right? It's, um, uh, I'm often amazed how forward-looking they are, right? So even during the pandemics, there were many border closures. There was also this crisis with the Suez Canal blockage when supply chains were disrupted for a while. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and illicit trade really was filling the niche instantly, just like water, you know? I've seen that with other crime types where criminals are so fast to adapt to changing environments and uh, and those in law enforcement can can struggle to keep up. They always seem to have that creative edge. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Whereas us, I mean public sector, sometimes frustrating how how much time we need really to coordinate. So you mentioned a report by the OECD on, on the SMEs and the impact that you've seen, uh, and we'll make yes. sure that there's a link to that report so people can have a read of it. What else does the OECD do in this space? Well, the first first thing that we do is to provide evidence. What we are trying to do is to shed some light onto this problem using, well, partial data that we get from enforcement authorities, trade associations, industry. Right? So our, I would say, foundation is to change the anecdotes into facts, right? to provide evidence where the problems are and what is the scale of the problem. That's, I would say that's the foundation of our work. By doing so, we also come across something that I can call governance gaps, the areas where technical progress and logistical advancements are, that are great. There is no doubt they're great, but they also create opportunities for illicit trade to flourish. So we kind of put some spotlight onto those areas where there might be some gaps, right? Just because, well, enforcement is still using procedures from what, 1970 or 1960s. Yeah, slow to catch up. Whereas criminals, they're really two steps ahead of us. And, and I think e-commerce e e would be a good example of that, right? With the, the Absolutely. Well, e-commerce, containerous maritime transport, uh, small parcels, right? All these yeah. <laughs> small packages that come to you from the other side of the world in a week time, right? But also free trade zones. So those are the areas where logistical and technological solutions that are fantastic. They facilitate trade a lot. But at the same time, enforcement sometimes lacking instruments to really understand what's going on there. So can you just explain what, what the danger is from free trade zones when it comes to this type of, of illegal trade? Free trade zones are fantastic ways to really facilitate trade. Um, to, to make sure that uh, investors come to a de designated areas to make the most out of good locations, good logistic solutions. But some, and I highlight some free trade zones, lack certain oversight. And um, it might be the case that in some countries, customs do not really pay much attention what happens in these free trade zones. 
And for criminals, it's a great opportunity, right, to do all these bad jobs related to really product manipulation, counterfeiting, uh, related to document cleansing, right, changing shipping manifests, so that enforcement in the final destination will have big troubles understanding where these goods come from, what these goods are, and actually how to approach these containers that well, seemingly come from a free trade zone X, but really God knows what's inside. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting. So given given that you work for an international organization, so what do you see about international cooperation? Are, are governments talking to each other in this space? Is there not enough cooperation, not enough communication, or is it working well? Well, that's, well this, there is an answer in this question, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's always scope for more collaboration, right? Especially given that criminals are always to step ahead of us. But again, international cooperation might sound like a buzzword. There's always some details that could be improved. And here I'm thinking in particular about, you know, promoting best standards that could be applied not only by enforcement around the world, but also by private sector, container ship companies, e-commerce platforms. There's always scope for collaboration of them with industry and with public sector, with enforcement, uh, to make sure that uh, these business models are clean and, and there is no gap that could be abused easily by, by criminals. That's where we see that, that there is a potential for, for further collaboration. Yeah, right. And and I guess private uh, public partnerships are really in the spotlight uh, around law enforcement around the world. So this would be no different where businesses and governments can work together. Exactly, exactly. And such standards should be also internationally, I'd say, comparable, right? So a collaboration between private and public sector in the U.S., uh, should be, I would say, replicable between the same collaboration in the EU or in Asia, right? So we know that if a shipment comes from another country to Europe, there is some trust in the data carried by the by the shipping company, or we know what's inside. And as you say, the criminals don't don't respect borders and certainly operate internationally. So we all need to do the same. They not only don't respect borders, but they also know what are the weak elements in the supply chain, right? So they they always hit the, at the weakest point of the supply chain. For the time being, well, free trade zones are on such one weakest point, right? But there may be other ones. So we should be also proactive and forward-looking, thinking of, you know, what could be the weakest point when designing some new uh, trade solutions or, or new policies for the future. Because what we see in the trade, there's many unwanted consequences, right? Policymakers, they want to do good, good things, but there's sometimes unwanted consequences when it comes to illicit trade. Right. Can you, can you give me an example of something like that? Oh, well, uh, think, for example, of, um, of COVID, right? COVID resulted in many ad hoc policy solutions. Some of them were really like closures of shops, closures of, of legitimate businesses. And in some countries, we even saw closures of alcohol shops. This also triggered lots of illicit trade in alcohol. And we saw huge rise of organized crime, especially right. uh, around those countries that introduced this right, dry low, right? Because you're not, you're not dropping the demand, are you? You, you? The demand is still there. People still want the product. Yes, the, de- the demand is still there. Actually, you know, back in 1920s, there was this big figure called Al Capone, right? And his power emerged thanks to, uh, you know, closing supply of alcohol, right? And until today, he's somehow, well, a legend. Uh, <laughs> and this case is well known. 
uh, well, yesterday I went to a pizzeria in Paris and I saw pizza al capone. Wow. <laughs> Cutting or like banning supply doesn't mean that demand is not there, right? The demand will be met by, by some other means. Well, Piotr, we're almost at the end of today's episode. So to wrap up, can you tell me, what do we do to stop it? Firstly, there is no silver bullet. We need to work together with existing international organizations that work on conventions to stop illicit trade, such as WCO or WTO. But at the same time, we should develop best practices with those actors that want to be clean and want to drive bad actors out of the market, such as, well, there's many good examples among e-commerce platforms, small parcel providers. There is goodwill. There is goodwill. We should just work together so that the solutions are comparable, are interoperable, and we don't step on each other's toes. So collaboration, yes, with one common aim ahead of us. Sounds fantastic. Well, that's it for today's episode. So, Piotr, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy and and really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and have this discussion. Thank you for having me. And listeners, don't forget to tune back in next time to hear some more specifics about the criminals who are behind this. And we're going to have a look at who are those shady figures who are part of the illegal empire. Uh, So tune in then. Next time in Exposing the Illegal Empire. Most serious crime is motivated by the need to make money. Uh, Drug trafficking, fraud, theft, robbery, people trafficking, prostitution, cross-border smuggling, including oil smuggling and cigarette smuggling. Everyone is profiting a little bit along the way and at the top quite significantly. Exposing the Illegal Empire from Crime Stoppers International, supported by JTI. Please follow and rate on your podcast app. To find out more about any of the subjects featured in our podcast, please visit theillegalempire.com and check us out on Twitter at Empire Illegal. Empire Illegal.